It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> And welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Sports Travel Tours. Sports Travel for sports fans, by sports fans. And we said the season never really ends. The Combine is underway today. So much news coming out of Indianapolis from the management meetings. I'll be joined down the line by the very talented and wonderful Neil Dutton. And we're going to have fantastic interviews with Nate Burleson, Paxton Lynch and Super Agent Lee Steinberg. This is the Gridiron Show. All right, welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Sports Travel Tours. And as I say, great show coming up, plenty to talk about, plenty of news coming out. But, I mean, we should probably keep things off by starting with our esteemed guest. Neil Dutton, how are you doing today, sir? I'm very well. It it must be a huge honour for you to speak with me <laughs> it always feels that way i have to say uh neil for the listeners who aren't as familiar with you from anything apart from the regular tweets into our show uh, just tell them a little bit about yourself and why we should care what you have to say because i know when it comes to footballing matters you know what you're talking about but maybe the listeners don't well it's very kind of you to say william um, um i'm can be found on Twitter at Endleton13. Um, I'm a fantasy writer for varied sites, including Rotoviz, The Fantasy Greek, Fantasy Pros, and Gridiron Expert. Um, obviously, got to get a bit of Gridiron in just you know, to keep things going. Too right. Um, and generally, um, I have an incredibly negative and pessimistic view on all, all things in the world, and occasionally, the angrier I get, the funnier I get. And you're an Eagles fan, so that all works out really well for everyone. Well, it, it's... It, it was deigned that I should support a team that would disappoint and annoy me on a regular basis. And you've succeeded in doing that incredibly well. I have to Absolutely. say, that's your first po- first ding, first bonus point of the day. You've managed to support it. I don't have a good noise for it. I'll just do this one. That'll do. Well done, Neil Dutton. Uh, so, as I said, there's loads for us to get to. Later on in this show, we're going to be talking about uh, the Lions have been speaking today about Megatron's potential retirement. Whilst we were at the Super Bowl, we spoke with former Lions wide receiver Nate Burleson. He obviously spent a few years there. Gave us a really good insight into what kind of man uh, Megatron is behind the scenes, what Calvin Johnson brings to the team and that's some fascinating stuff there and of course we're into the scouting combine now sadly having been out to san francisco they chose not to send us out again and go to the combine but we've got plenty of news stories coming out of there the underwear olympics are going to have to stay the other side of the pond we won't be reporting on those themselves but next week simon clancy will join us and we'll break down you know some of the people who have done well some of the winners losers of that but we've got a couple of the big names on with the show today. We've got Paxton Lynch. We spoke to him at the Super Bowl. And Super Agent Lee Steinberg, he's representing Paxton Lynch in this process. But he has had no less than eight number one overall picks, 60 first-round picks. He is the man that the film Jerry Maguire was based on. So we'll speak to him as well. Loads of stuff to talk about. But, Neil, 
Is there anything that you want to bring to the table before we get into the news? I normally let Ollie talk at this point for a couple of minutes whilst I, you know, reset myself, grab a cup of tea, etc. Generally ignore what he says. Do you want to take that role today? Well, I can take that role. I mean, it's, I believe Ollie is away skiing yeah, at the moment. It's, skiing is, is unique in the sense that it's the, uh, one of the few activities I've ever done where I didn't injure myself. <laughs> um, Which is amazing, because the first time I went skiing, I had to go to the hospital with a, with a suspected broken back, so... I think skiing's one of those um, activities, if you're going to get injured, get a proper one. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Don't, don't, twist your, don't twist your ankle, break something. Yeah, and you want to get you want to get carried down the slopes by a man who has basically got you attached to what is uh, nothing more than a wooden plank with a couple of skis on the bottom. It's it's essentially like a child's toboggan uh, wrap, wrapped in a body bag, and then just two poles either side of him while he skis down a pretty tough mountain. Uh, not a terrifying experience. Um, well, maybe I'm lying about that. I couldn't say. I mean, if. It could be some way incorporated into, like, a milk tray advert. Then, you know, <laughs> so much the better. But the main thing is, when you're wearing one of those skiing onesies, soiling yourself is a terrible idea. White isn't a colour that really lends itself to being soiled. <laughs> right, let's get into the combine and let's talk about the news coming out of there. That's the first big bit of news that I spotted coming out of the combine this week and all of the various press conferences and nonsense going on is uh, the fact that Trent Bolke has suggested that he absolutely expects Colin Kaepernick to be on the roster come April the 1st, meaning his $11.9 million sal- salary becomes guaranteed at that point and uh, apparently giving him some kind of edge in an expected competition with Blaine Gabbert. At least that's how it's being reported. Uh, you know a lot about Chip Kelly. I'll ask you about that in a little while. But the maybe biggest doubter of Colin Kaepernick's ability, to my mind, would be the Mike White from BBC Humberside. And so we couldn't help ourselves but speak to him. Mike, how are you, sir? Uh, outraged is probably the best way to it. Great speaking to you, fellas, but outraged. Uh, well, I, I don't understand. This is a guy who went and won you know, two playoff games against Green Bay, went to three NFC Championship games, went to a Super Bowl. Surely you need a guy with that level of talent on your roster. Look, you've teed it up already. I have never been sold on Colin Kaepernick as the future of the franchise in San Francisco. Yes, of course, he was the Super Bowl quarterback, but that for me was the house that Alex Smith built, in my opinion, and Kaepernick was merely half-sitting. Smith was treated shabbily during his concussion, Subsequent departure from the Niners off the back of that as well. We've seen recently how he's more than just a game manager. And for me, he's more of an NFL quarterback than Colin Kaepernick will ever be. Of course, he's a good athlete, but you and I know it takes more than that, doesn't it? Usain Bolt's not a bad athlete, but I don't want him under centre at Levi's. And another thing... Mike, 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 hold on, whoa, Mike, Mike, hold on. Kaepernick was, listen, Kaepernick was involved in a blossoming rebirth of a once great franchise and what should have been the beginning of greatness... It's been left in tatters. We've had the historic... I don't, I don't think we're going to get him back from this at all. Steve Young, no, he's, we've he's enjoyed on. the high... I'm, I'm going to fade him down. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. I'd, I'd be fascinated to know your opinion on um, your esteemed GM's announcement regarding Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, uh, well, Mike White is obviously pretty angry about it, so I'll I'll give you my opinion on it, which is, I don't mind this. 11.9 million is the guaranteed money, and actually, when you look at the fact that Kirk Cousins is probably going to get 19 million pounds this off-season when he gets franchise tagged, and when you consider that Ryan Tannehill's going to earn 16 million this season, actually 11, 12 million to see if this guy could be the guy in a Chip Kelly system when he does have that success rate in the past, I'm not 
completely objecting to it. I think throwing the baby out with the bathwater and cutting him entirely. We we know from when he signed this deal, it was a very team-friendly deal. And if it doesn't work out this year, he can be cut next season. Why not use that bit of cap space we've got to see if we've got the right guy there? Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think we should look at a quarterback. And something we're going to get to in a little while, a little while when we talk to uh, Paxton Lynch, our chat back at the Super Bowl, is who those quarterback needy teams are in this draft. And I do have the 49ers down on my list. I think we should talk about that. But there's there's certainly some quarterback discussions to be had. And I think it's worth having him in the conversation for now, essentially. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... The, the, the current state of the 49ers roster, it must be, you know, to look at it and think, well, what, what is the... It's, it's not exactly a talent-rich roster. So we've seen a quarterback who has flashed and, you know, has done things in the past that have made him a match winner. It would be... Maybe foolish to, you know, just for the sake of we just need to get him out the building and then say, you know, no, we're comfortable with Blaine Gabbert, which is a phrase that if, if you're ever comfortable <laughs> with Blaine Gabbert, you, you really need help. Yeah, no doubt. And actually, you know, Blaine Gabbert showed some flashes last year in three or four games, but then in the last couple of games did look poor. And I'm not suggesting that he couldn't be potentially a very strong backup somewhere. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be a lot to down to what happens with Chip Kelly, how they build the roster in a way that would suit him, whether they work to that basis. I mean, actually, Trent Bolke, his head is on the line in a big way here because he's not had a strong draft really since Scott McLuhan left, who's obviously now over in Washington. Uh, and uh, realistically, 49ers fans can't expect anything more than targeting 500 this year. So why not roll the dice, see if there's this guy who has the potential to be special and can be rebuilt from the ground up by a new coach. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Why not take that year to risk it? Because as we're going to talk about in a while, quarterback, it's just something where if you're not rolling the dice on it and taking those chances, you end up being the Cleveland Browns and nobody wants that. Not really, no. The people of Cleveland desperately don't want the Cleveland Browns. No. Uh, br- one brilliant story that came out this week when we're talking about quarterbacks is this idea. Uh, ESPN's Andrew Mar- uh, Marchand, who is more well-known for his work on the diamond rather than the gridiron, uh, talking about the New York Yankees, who, during their media training, uh, the Super Bowl was being used to portray the right and wrong way to act. Part of the video shown was the pitchers and catchers comparing how Cam Newton handled his Super Bowl loss to the way Russell Wilson dealt with defeat the previous year. And... Yeah, I know a lot of people who listen to this show will also listen to Around the NFL, and this was something they talked about the other day. I don't mind referencing that, just the fact that this makes me so incredibly angry, and I feel like I've talked about this on the show before, but Russell Wilson, for all his talent and all his ability and being able to do well coming out of the third round and everything else, is maybe one of the dullest human beings in the world and chooses not to sleep with Ciara when he has the opportunity to. If, any, if he's a shining example to anyone in the world, then it's not a world I necessarily want to be part of. Russell Wilson is the type of person who, when he goes out to the shops, would buy ready-salted crisps. Yeah, you. That's how dull he is. No one minds eating ready salted crisps when they're in a bowl on a buffet, and it's not a very high end buffet, obviously, if you've got ready salted crisps on it. But you know what I mean, a kids' party or something. But no one's going to go out and specifically choose those, are they? No, I mean you go to the, you know, the, whichever cinema you go to, you've got your Ben and Jerry's, and you look at all these wonderful flavors, and you go vanilla, please. That's the type of person he is. And you know it's going to be great vanilla, but it's still of vanilla. 
Yeah, but it's you've you've seen all these other ones with pretty colours. They might have some fruit or, or a bit more caramel. No, just the vanilla, please. You know, that's that's what Russell Wilson is. He he he'd be the type of person who literally would you know he'd keep saying, "Oh, and have you heard when you're trying to get away from him?" Nobody it's, nobody wants fruit when they go to the Ben and Jerry counter. What is your problem, Dutton? Oh, well, I don't eat fruit. Is some weird so scouse I, I, thing? Do you not eat fruit at all? Um, I, you know, you know, you're supposed to eat five fruit and veg a day. Supposedly so. At one point, I heard that it was going up to seven. I'm like, that's ludicrous. I'm not I'm all in on if that. I hit that a week. <laughs> Brilliant. See, I'm fat, and I get to. I, I eat fruit. I just eat too much of it. Way, way too much. See, see, I read and about crisps you know, and fa- chocolate. You know, fast food has, you know, about a fifth of the goodness that you need. Out that compared to normal food, so I eat five times as much fast food just to compensate for it. I love it. The Dutton diet. We are fully endorsing that on the Gridiron Show. We're not. Please never eat like Neil Dutton. I've seen that man eat a curry, and it is. <sighs> anyway, uh, <laughs> other bits of news out of the combine. Let's roll through some of this because we've got some big interviews to come up, and I want to chat quarterbacks with you. Uh, but uh, uh, Del Rio coming out, Jack Del Rio coming out, and talking about uh, you know Bill Belichick speaks about it uh, on a regular basis. But this idea that every replay, uh, every play could be challengeable, and again, this is something that I've banged on about in the show before. So I'd like to hear your view on it, Dutz. But uh, it's something that makes me incredibly angry that something like, I'm trying to think of a specific play from recent seasons, and a few of them crop up, but a lot of them do with the 49ers, and I don't want to be that guy. So I, I just don't understand why there are certain penalties which aren't challengeable when clearly, whether it's PI, whether it's uh, uh, something to do with you know illegal contact, something like that, it's clearly something which can be decided if you go back and look at a replay. So why not allow coaches to challenge it? In theory, I like the idea because there's too many plays that you look at and think, I can see why you've called it, but looking at it you know, from a different angle, you see it isn't. So let's move on. We'll go back to where we begin. However, we are watching a league that doesn't know what a catch is and doesn't know how to make replay decisions quickly. And there's just a worry that, you know, oh, you've called um, a helmet-to-helmet hit on that. Um, I would like to challenge that. And five minutes later, uh, after review, uh, the ruling on the field stands. You know, it's, and it's it's not really something. You know, it's- but you're not going to put the number of challenges up. You're not going to give them more opportunity to challenge. If they're going to be stupid, like Ron Rivera in the Super Bowl, and throw away their challenges on silly decisions, then it's not going to make the game any longer at all. I'm not suggesting they go to replay for every single decision, unless literally you're going to have a guy in New York looking at every decision, and if another snap hasn't come off, quickly radioing back to them and saying, whoa, 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 stop, 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 you got the last one wrong. Unless you're going to those sorts of lengths so the game can keep up to a regular speed, it's, I'm just talking about allowing coaches to challenge any decision, basically. I th- I mean, I'd say I agree with that. I mean, let's hope if they do go that way, the person they have in New York isn't Mike Carey. Um, <laughs> I, I, I met him briefly at the Super Bowl. He was a delightful man, but I didn't. I just didn't have it in me to tell him how he was. Is his head that big in person? It's huge and really shiny. Like, I, I know it looks shiny on TV, but, like, properly, if you're in, like, neon lights of this horrible convention centre you're stuck in, it it's kind of blinding. Like, you need to put the sunnies on. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there are people out there of a certain vintage, you'll know what I'm talking about, but he looks like he should be plotting to kill Dan Dare. Yeah, too, too old for me, mate. Mm. 
Sorry, it's, buddy. It's, I mean, it's one of those, you see, because obviously NFL players, you know, they're wearing helmets all the time, and sometimes you don't expect them to look that way. You know, like, I didn't know Lane Johnson was bald, for example. <laughs> Mike Carey, uh, what, what, you know, the referees all wear caps. I didn't realise he needed the cap, because otherwise, you know, his head is taking over the planet. <laughs> you think it's a special containment cap that you have I to think tuck so. the, and Like two hours before the game, he's in there slowly tucking his head in. He he has to tuck his head in. I mean, we never saw he might have had that mark on his forehead that Peyton Manning gets. <laughs> we don't know. You mean at the point where he injects the HGH directly into his forehead? Ooh. Uh, right, no one listens anyway. Uh, Alan actually, Alan M tweeted us asking about who do we think is going to get franchise tagged. Clearly not listening to last week's show when me and Ollie discussed this for at least 15 minutes. But it's relevant because we spoke about how I felt Alshon Jeffrey was a, one of the most obvious names for the tag. And uh, today uh, they, the Bears came out, uh, Ryan Pace said uh, they're going to aggressively negotiate towards a new deal, but they don't see him going anywhere, so... Franchise tag on Alshon Jeffrey sounds like we were going to be right on that one. Talking about another big name wide receiver, Calvin Johnson. Uh, the Lions have come out today, nearly two months after the news broke that Calvin Johnson might retire. Bob Quinn came out and basically said they're going to be putting no deadline on the decision for Calvin Johnson. I mean, how crazy would you have to be to tell a Hall of Fame player? No, you have to give us your decision by the 1st of April. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to cut you anyway. Well, it's they don't really have an awful lot of leverage. I mean, it's the you know the one. They, I mean, it's a talented roster in places, but they are a bit lacking wide receiver. And if they were to say to possibly one of the best receivers of the last ten years, if not all time, let's go for a bit of hyperbole. It's draft season after all, and say no, no, we want a decision now. Hello. Calvin, must have been cut off. It'd be stupid. <laughs> you know, you're desperate to try and drain every last ounce of ability and, you know, skill out of this man and then hope, you know, that you can get cut him loose for a fraction of what you're going to pay for him later. They'd be stupid to antagonise him because I get the feeling he'd be like, Do you know, I've made enough money playing for your crappy team. I think I'll call it quits. I, I, talking of getting people cut off, actually, so we just check in with Mike. No doubts. No doubts about it. And, of course, there's the Chip Kelly factor to consider. On paper, it looks like the perfect fit. But this decision, it smacks of one last desperate throw. No, no, it's still going. It's, it's, no, it's never going to stop. Never going to stop. Uh, the reason that I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the Calvin Johnson situation, because it's going to be something which drags on for the remainder of the uh, the offseason. We spoke to a couple of guys at the Super Bowl, one of them being Joyke Bell, so we won't talk about that. But the other person we spoke to about the potential legacy of Calvin Johnson was former wide receiver of the Detroit Lions, Nate Burleson. Now, it was in a bit of a round table uh, situation with uh, lots of different NFL network analysts were there. It's when we spoke to Kurt Warner, when we spoke to TD as well. But I, I managed to get a good kind of seven or eight minutes with just a one-on-one with Nate to talk about Calvin Johnson. And so I've really—I don't know if you've been li- watching him much on the network or listening to him when he's appeared on other podcasts, but I think Nate Burleson is really one of those players who shows real intelligence and has grown into the role of an analyst in a big way and offers some really interesting insight. I don't know if you agree with me on that, Dutton. I'm going to hope you do. I agree. I mean, he's learnt an awful lot. I mean, this is a man who knows that you protect a pizza on your front seat with your life. (laughs) So you never really doubted him? No. (laughs) Well, let's see if his opinions on Calvin Johnson live up to expectations as well. This was Nate Burleson, and I asked him... 
whether he was surprised by the rumours that Calvin Johnson could retire this offseason. As a fan, not surprised, more just shocked because I don't want him to retire. You know, I'm a huge fan of Calvin, as everybody knows. Uh, so I want to see him play longer. I want to see the highlights for as long as I can have him. Um, then on top of that, I don't want people to use, you know, him playing nine years as an excuse of why he's um, not a Hall of Famer. Okay, so that's me as a fan of the game. That seems crazy to me. As a, as a yeah. friend and a former teammate, uh, I'm not shocked at all. I get it. I've kicked it with this guy. We've hung out on and off the field. I've seen him battle through injuries. I've seen him give himself up, you know, when there's a ball that he shouldn't even try to catch. I, I've seen him, you know, remain quiet about, you know, the, the criticism. Uh, so with all that, the wear and tear physically, setting yourself up for more oftentimes than not failure because, you know, you haven't had a successful season in Detroit. The physical and emotional letdown and how taxing that is, I'm not surprised. And I get it, and I'm good with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm perfectly fine with the fact that he'll step away from the game early. Barry Sanders did it, and it's funny how history repeats itself. Calvin Johnson might do it. <laughs> Maybe it is. Have you spoken with him at all recently? Yeah, we, we've been texting all week. And, you know, the first thing I did is I said, bro, this this is the the friend hitting you up. This isn't the analyst um, calling you. for an NFL Network scoop. I said, I'm not, I, I told him I'm not even looking for him to confirm or deny. Don't say anything. I said, this is your boy just checking in on you. He hit me back. He was like, I'm cooling. I'm relaxing. I was like, well, once everything kind of settles down, I'm going to holler at you. And if Calvin gives me the green light to talk about it and he gives me an exclusive on if he's returned or not, then, of course, I'll let you guys know. But I have to be careful and tread lightly with my friends. I know it's all about the scoop. And even, you know, some, some of my colleagues at the network say, hey, hit him up. We need the story. You know, listen, I, I, got, I got loyalty to this fraternity that I was in, and that's the NFL, and these are my friends first. So I don't want these guys to see a text message or get a phone call from me and then they hit the ignore button because everything I say ends up on TV. Hey, do you I, think the whole concussion issue affected his decision to retire, perhaps? Nah, 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 nah. I, Calvin's, Calvin's as tough as it gets. Nah, it's not losing. Calvin could deal with losing. Um, it's frustrating because all he wants to do is give Detroit a championship. Um, I think if it's anything, it's um, having to get his frame up, his body up to whatever percentage it is to play all year. Like, for example, as a rookie, let's just say your mark is 100, 100% health. Obviously, like, as years go on, year 10 and 11, for me, I can only get up to 85%. That's, that's how much I had. With an ACL, broken leg, broken thumb, fingers, ribs, a couple concussions, I can only get up to 85%. So I don't know what Calvin's at. I know he can't get up to 100% health, so he has to figure out how much I can get my body up and how much of that is worth the risk and reward. So um, that would be the reason why. Maybe he has a more profound understanding of where he's at and what he can bring to the table. And I don't think we're not ready to eulogize his career yet. We don't even know that he's definitely retired. But just, but just tell us from your perspective, as a guy who played with him, who had such, such success with him, why he is so special. We see the production, but what it is it being that guy inside the locker room with him that makes him... A man who is, he is, he's, a he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. The idea he's not is absolutely ridiculous. It's, um, 
I know we see the stats and we see the highlights, but like like Rick Ross said, it's deeper than rap. It's way deeper than that, man. Like I, I seen this guy show up to the facility um, before everybody. He's in the training room. I seen him stay late in the weight room when guys are ready, hustling out the door. Calvin's still in there hitting the ice tub. Uh, his approach was like a free agent trying to make the team. For a college analogy, like a walk-on trying to make a team. That was him every day. He didn't do things because I was paid or I was the leader. He did things because that was a cloth he was cut from. Mother a doctor, dad a railroad worker. I mean, that combination of, of, you know, what he was able to take from his parents, you know, he's extremely cerebral. Um, You know, went to Georgia Tech, graduated uh, engineering, so he's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. Blue collar. Father worked on a railroad for more than half his life. So when it comes to like him identifying with Detroit and the struggles in Detroit and how Detroit is made, hard nose, blue collar, that was Calvin. Never complained, never said anything. Moments where he could. Moments where he could literally could have walked off the field and said, I am the only one doing something today. Didn't say anything. Went on about his business, took a shower, put his suit on, went home, showed up for work the next day. So his approach to his job was what I envied the most. Like when we were conditioning, he didn't just lead by a couple yards because he knew he had to be in front and he didn't want the coaches to yell at him. Calvin led by as much as the athletic ability he was blessed with would allow him to lead by. And sometimes that was five, six yards in front of everybody. So... Like, you know, that was Calvin. You know, and I couldn't say, hey, yo, Calvin, slow down, bro. That was the way he looked at things. I um, I spoke with Joy Bell earlier, and what he said to me was he's not a guy who says a lot. He's a guy of few words, but when he talks, people listen. And is that the guy you knew? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, no, sorry. You know, and then, yeah, he, um, he, he was one of those guys. The good thing about me is, you know, I like to talk. So when we played together... I was his voice. Like he had the he had that Diddy commercial. Remember the Diddy commercial when Diddy was like his voice, and I joked with him. I was like, "Hey, Calvin, I've been Diddy for you, bro. Like that's what I've been doing." So, um, you know, it's funny because Calvin was still a young man when I got there, and then he's kind of evolved into this monster and this unstoppable talent. Um, And I remember just seeing him, and it was like, it was I say it's like a superhero like discovering his powers, and he realized like damn like I'm just so big and so strong so fast and so unstoppable and that was like right around the time he started to attack Jerry Rice's record Mm -hmm. and it became evident that this man is the best in the world and it was never about the money never hear Kevin talking about that it was never about the praise you never hear him wanting the stage after a win it was never about the shine you never see him on TV in offseason it was just a simple fact that I'm blessed with the talents to be the best team in the world all the other bonuses just happen to come with it. Nate Burleson there talking about the potential Hall of Fame career of Calvin Johnson. I say potential. For me, not only is he already a Hall of Famer, but probably going to be in that first ballot conversation. It's difficult because a lot of people are talking about if he retires now, is he going to be going into the Hall of Fame at all, let alone straight away? I, I kind of believe in that definition that's that if you play two, three, four years, the very best at your position of anyone in the league, then you've got to be in that conversation. I think he's been right up there for the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I agree. It's 
I mean, what the simplistic argument is, um, can you write the history of the NFL without mentioning this name? That's one approach. But the other approach is, this guy was at the top of his tree in a position that has assumed even more importance over the last 10 years, that of wide receiver. And he was the best. And probably it wasn't even close between him and second. I think if he if he didn't play another snap, he'd, probably be, he'd be certainly in the Hall of Fame conversation for the earliest point of entry he could have. And it's it's one of those if he played another two two seasons maybe, then he'd probably he'd probably walk in. He was I mean, on on his day, he was that good. I just there's, there's a few players like this who are retiring at that kind of 30, 31 age. We had Patrick Willis doing it last off season. I think there are a couple of guys doing it this season who are in the conversation. Actually, uh, we talked about it last time, and Marshall Lynch for me isn't a Hall of Famer, but these guys who people are saying, oh, if they play one, two more years, they'll be a Hall of Famer. I just think if you've been at that sort of level where I, you're considered the best for as many years as Calvin Johnson was. You know, he was the de facto best receiver in the league for at least four years, as far as people were concerned. And he obviously went on, had that record-breaking season. I just think that, for me, that body of work is enough to put you in the Hall of Fame and put you into the first ballot conversation. And he did it all without being a diva. I mean, yeah, he's, I, he's, he, could, he could probably come close to boring Russell Wilson. <laughs> I, that's something that actually Nate Burleson did say to us, and, and Joyke Bell mentioned as well. You know, he's a man. I think Joyke Bell, his words were, "He's a man who doesn't say a lot, but when he says something, you listen." And I like that. I wish I was that kind of man. Instead, I'm a man who says a lot, and you desperately try not to listen to any of it. So, Calvin Johnson is Silent Bob. <laughs> Essentially, Calvin Johnson is the antithesis of Will Gavin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's athletic. He's tall. He's quiet. All the good things. All the good yeah. things. Uh, we know now that RG3 is definitely moving on from Washington. I think we knew that already, but Jay Gruden confirmed it today. He claimed it was as much to do with Cousins' play as he thinks it was to do with RG3's injury. Thinks he'll make an impact elsewhere. The main reason I mention this, if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash gridiron magazine, you'll see a fantastic article which Simon Clancy wrote l uh, last off-season talking about his fall from grace after a fantastic rookie season in 2012. 12, and it's an article that's well worth a read so go away check that out uh i did hear a little birdie mentioned that he could end up at the eagles yeah it's i think it's one of those it's a lot of basically if you've played quarterback you're probably gonna get late with the eagles in the next few weeks because there's that much uncertainty about the position um i mean the eagles have been starved of consistent quarterback play since McNabb left. See, look, um, we had Donovan McNabb on the show at the Super Bowl, and I'm relatively sure his phone lit up while we are talking to him, and the name Roseman popped up. I'm not sure, but I'm, I think it was. It, it, it could happen. I mean, the, Brett Favre can, you know, gets talked about coming back every uh, off-season. I'm sure, I'm sure I'd welcome Five back. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's... Griffin is... I spoke of this earlier to, uh, to, to someone else that Griffin has at least shown flashes that he can be an effective NFL quarterback given the right system, given the right supporting cast, whereas someone like Johnny Manziel hasn't. Yeah. So if it came down to a, you can have Griffin or Manziel, well, that's not even a debate. As far as I'm concerned, I'll take Griffin every day. Brilliant. 
I'm glad that you're saying it that way. Uh, but it kind of leads us on to, and, and the a great comment from Hugh Jackson today, uh, our quarterback conversation. In a few moments' time, we'll play you out our conversations with Lee Steinberg, super agent, the real-life Jerry Maguire, who's representing Paxton Lynch. We had a more wide-ranging conversation as well, talking about what an agent's doing at this time of year, what they do to prepare a player for the combine. He also told us that Paxton Lynch was definitely throwing at the combine. When we asked Paxton Lynch the same question, he didn't give such a sure response that led to a bit of fun so you'll hear that as well and as i say there our chat with paxton lynch who for many people is the kind of guy who uh, developmental ha- is uh, spent his time in a spread offense when he was in memphis didn't throw a lot beyond the line of scrimmage but clearly has the tools to have a big arm he's a guy who much like big ben you'd want him in third and long situations you want him in situations where if the game's on the line he has all the abilities and the physical abilities and seemingly the right sort of mindset to be able to put a team on his shoulders and carry them, but maybe just not quite the intelligence of an NFL-level playbook yet. Kind of person who'd be perfect to go and sit behind a big-name quarterback who's getting into the older years and maybe start in the league in a couple of years' time. But we had a really interesting conversation with him, so we'll have that coming up as well. But I want to talk about the teams who, who I think, and you maybe agree with me, need to look at drafting a quarterback in this draft. The first of all, of course, being the Cleveland Browns at two. Interesting comments from Hugh Jackson today talking about hand size. There's been some Alex Smith-esque rumours about uh, Cal's Jared Goff that he has tiny hands. And I don't know if you're kind of familiar with this, but there's an idea that the ideal hand size for a quarterback in the draft has to be at least nine uh, nine inches as a hand span from fingertip to thumb. Paxton Lynch, if you saw the picture of him with Ollie Hunter, has 11 and a half inch hands, which when you put Ollie's hands in his made him look like an actual baby. Um the suggestion that you, Jackson, felt the need to mention that without actually being probed on it in any way maybe suggests that they're moving towards looking at North Dakota State's Carson Wentz. But the Browns, I think, are, are absolutely nailed on. They're going to be looking to take a quarterback, probably at that number two position, unless somebody tries to move above them. Uh, all the talk over the next couple of months is, is it going to be Goff? Is it going to be Wentz? Is there a surprise a la Blake Bortle who's going to move up into that position but if I look beyond the Browns who else do you see uh, what are the teams do you see Dutch, that you think they definitely need to be looking at a quarterback if not in the first round but at some point in this draft well there's two teams I mean, we've talked about the Eagles already <clears throat> the Eagles uh, quarterback situation is unstable and has been for a period of time um, that's a very polite way of saying it it's it's very polite way. I mean, there are now two franchises in NFL history that haven't had a four thousand yard passer. The Eagles are one of them. It's it's proud company. Um, that's all. I want. Are the Rams the other? No, the Rams aren't the other because um, there, there was a there was a short lived offensive explosion in St. Louis called the Greatest Show on Turf. Yeah, no, I didn't think about Kurt Warner bollocks. Mm. Uh, who would be the other? Do you know who the other is? Am I, are you I, leaving me dangling do, for yes. no reason? Um, they're supported by a former co-host of yours. Ah, the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears. Wow, that's amazing considering their history. Although I guess the the good seasons were predicated on defense, not necessarily quarterback play. But yeah, that's that's that is quite good company to be in, admittedly. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm surprised. Storied by that. franchises in the forties. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Eagles will need to do something. I mean, there's speculation that there's a parallel between like. And Andy Reid brought in a veteran quarterback called Doug Pete, 
Anderson to you know to ease in a rookie that he drafted. We go back to Donovan McNabb. Would Peterson, Peterson, Pedersen, however you pronounce it, I've never got around to it. Um, would he look to do the same? Would Bradford be that guy? Would it be Chase Daniel? But I don't know. They, I, I would incline to think that the Eagles do need to draft someone because you can't go through this every two years. Oh, it's going to be this guy. It's going to be this guy. It's going to be this guy. Because eventually you become the Cleveland Browns. I think my feeling on this is, is kind of similar to what my feeling is on the 49ers, who certainly are on my list as another team that need it. I mean, when you look at the Eagles, Mayock says they have to draft someone and should look in the first round. Roseman said they want Bradford back and want to you know, use him to probably work with a younger guy. I mean, for me, I think... You look at beyond the first round of this draft, and we've had an interesting tweet in on this uh, from from Adam asking how many quarterbacks go in the first round and how many actually deserve a first-round grade. I mean, I'm at the very early stages of, of going back and watching more college games and watching... I watching film sounds really wanky, but you know what I mean, going back and looking at these guys. I mean, from what I can see, the three names that are constantly coming up, Goff, Wentz, Lynch, are the only three who deserve a first round grade and Lynch is borderline of those three Wentz appears to be climbing up boards pretty regularly but actually I look beyond that and I look who else is out there and available uh, maybe as kind of second, third even fourth, fifth round prospects who are a team who are not unstable but not stable at quarterback so they're not completely desperate like the Browns but they've maybe got a veteran option in there they've maybe got someone who they could and they could maybe take a bit more of a risk in a later round. You know, you've got Connor Cook out of Michigan State. Hackenberg, who had such a great year back in 2013, has never really had the support of a decent offensive line, decent running game, but has the physical tools he needs. He'll go in the kind of second, third round. Uh, Dak Prescott out of Mississippi State. Cardale Jones, who, of course, you know, we're talking about a national championship winner there. Uh, Kevin Hogan out of Stanford. These are guys who... Potentially, uh, Vernon Adams is another interesting one that I've heard uh, talked about quite a bit. Was uh, Washington uh, guy from Oregon, very much looks in the Russell Wilson mode, big hands but not a tall guy. So there's these. Uh, it's one of these drafts where actually I think the top end might be weaker than we've seen in recent years. But as you get through the depth of the draft, I think you might see anywhere up to 12, 13, 14 quarterbacks be, being drafted this year, which would be the most it's been for many, many years, because people are wanting to take those later flyers and are seeing that they're missing out on those opportunities. And, and you know, there are teams outside of the ones I'm looking at here, whether you think it's the Broncos, whether you think it's, you know, teams like the, uh, the Packers who let's take those later round flyers on guys who might in the longer run develop into our starting quarterback. So I think the Eagles might go in that direction. What's interesting for me is what the Dallas Cowboys are going to do it for. What, yeah, if you're I mean, sitting there and you're Jezzer and you've got Tony Romo slowly falling apart at the seams, you had to watch Matt Castle and whoever else destroy your potential Super Bowl winning season as people were selling it at before the year. For me, if you're Dallas you're not the sort of team that picks as high as number four on a regular basis. You're pretty consistent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially, it's a free year. It's You can also make the same argument with uh, Baltimore. I mean, I'm not saying they're going for a quarterback, but it's a chance that they may not have for many years to come to take someone this high. And I mean, you could argue the Dallas roster isn't that bad. It was just, without Tony Romo, it just felt a bit... I mean, obviously, I'd like to... I'd, I'd love to get up and say, hey, the crap... And they'll never win again because that'd be funny. <laughs> um, but if you, 
you can put so much of their downfall on the absence of Tony Romo. So if you can assume, and it's dangerous because he's he's a bit of a flight risk now, given his age and injury history, can he come back and be the Tony Romo of 2014 again? Then you just you make sure that you surround him with good talent later in the draft. But take a shot if you fall in love with a quarterback. Take him at four. With no pressure to play, you don't have to do the you know the struggling team of oh he'll just sit he'll sit out his rookie season bollocks he'll be starting by week four because it's very unlikely unless Romo gets hurt he won't have to take a single meaningful snap. It, it, so essentially, it's it's a it's a draft pick playing with house money. Yeah, and I think there are there are a couple of other positions that are very clear needs for the Cowboys. Pass rush, no doubt. I mean, Randy Gregory, we've heard, has failed his fourth drug test of his career this week and will likely face suspension at the beginning of next year. Uh, when asked today about Greg Hardy, the response from uh, from Jason Garrett was, he's a free agent. That's all he said. Clearly, they're not looking to bring him back in uh, Dallas. And it'll be interesting to see if he lands with anyone after this year. So pass rush, there is some real argument for that. And potentially defensive backfield as well. Okay, they managed to land Byron Jones, who a lot of people thought, oh, you've taken a workout warrior there. He turned into their best defensive back of the season last year. But I just think you're not, like you said, it's house money. You're not going to be picking at number four on a regular basis. You're not going to have much of a chance to take that flyer on a top, top, quarterback you've only got one team above you who's quarterback desperate so either Goff or Wentz is probably going to fall to you unless someone moves above you take that flyer let them learn behind Tony Romo who's been a pretty consummate professional in the NFL and maybe set your franchise in a good stead for the next 10 or 15 years that to me is much more of an impact than taking a defensive pass rusher who, oh right, they might turn into J.J. Watt, but that's unlikely. They might turn into Von Miller, but that's unlikely. And otherwise, they're a role player, even if they're a great role player. They're not a quarterback. And that's Cowboys, for me, have to take a quarterback. I think one thing that you could consider, though, especially now they, you know, now we have the fifth-year option on uh, rookie quarterback, uh, sorry, rookie picks in the first round. With such a high pick in the second round, if one of these guys they fall in love with all of a sudden drops, there's nothing to stop the Cowboys coming back into the first round, getting this guy. I mean, he may might be say well he's, he's probably only a second rounder, but that first round pick gives you the fifth year to keep and develop. So, yeah. I mean, if if you don't fall in love with someone so much, you have to take him at four. But you start seeing him maybe dropping a little bit. There's nothing to stop you doing what Minnesota did and come in and take you know when they took Teddy Bridgewater. So that's something to consider that they don't have to go hell for leather if they don't want to. But they could come back later and get the same guy. I think my concern there is that I'm uh, with the Eagles. We already talked about. There are two other teams later in in the draft: the Rams at fifteen uh, and and the Texans down. Uh, they're picking in the mid twenties. I can't remember the exact position, but obviously just at the top of that. Uh, no, high t- uh, low twenties even. Uh, so they'll be picking around the sort of position where maybe the Cowboys could move back into. They're both desperately in need of a quarterback. And I, I saw a really interesting article. I can't remember who it was by now which makes me feel terrible that I'm not mentioning it but uh, about how bringing a great quarterback into a good team only does a certain amount for a good team but bringing an average quarterback into a 
good team that doesn't have a quarterback. You've seen it in Kansas City in recent seasons with Alex Smith. You've seen the difference that happened with the Colts when Peyton Manning went down and then Andrew Luck came in. And Andrew Luck, we, we love him. We think he's great. We think he could develop into a great quarterback. But actually his play, he threw in a lot of picks. He wasn't a top-level guy. He was an above-average quarterback, but he turned that team immediately into a playoff team. And I, I, I just think... They don't need a lot to be able to turn themselves around. So if the, one of those top three guys is there when the Rams come around, when the Texans come around, I think they pick it in. So for me, the Cowboys, go all in. Let's do it. Come on. They're not going to do See, it as, now, are they? As I say, though, if it, means, you know, if it means the Cowboys are going to be competitive, though, I don't want them to do it. Yeah, fine. Fair. Cowboys, go pick uh, Joey Bosa or someone if he's still there. Uh, somebody, Tom Marshall tweeted us about the Rams, just asking, is, was moving to LA the only way Jeff Fisher kept his job? Two winning seasons out of the last 11. He is shit. Jeff Fisher's got pictures. Do we know I what thought, they are? I, I feel like these are the same sort of pictures you've got of uh, Mainzy. Uh, no, I, I, legally I'm not allowed to discuss them, but he, he's got pictures. He, he knows the secret of Les Snead's hair. That's why he's being kept there. <laughs> uh, right, we've been talking about the quarterback, uh, the potential prospects and where they might land, so let's uh, hear from a couple of guys. Let's start off with Lee Steinberg. As I said, this is the guy who Jerry Maguire was based on. He's had eight number one overall picks in his agent career, 60 first-round picks. Both of those are more than any other agent in the history of the NFL. Fascinating guy. Uh, talked about his charitable work as well. Talked about lots of other bits and pieces with him, but obviously talked about his guy, Paxton Lynch. This is super agent Lee Steinberg. So uh, we're now joined by, and I've, I think it's fair to say super agent super would, be the, yeah. uh, would, the, would be the right phrase for it, <laughs> uh, Lee have, Steinberg. Suit, like a, a super agent suit? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the S is emblazoned in diamonds and gold. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much for clearing that up. <laughs> uh, the man with the most, uh, if I'm right in saying this, the most number one picks represented uh, of all time in the NFL. 60 plus first round picks. 60 plus first round. He's a guy who knows his stuff when it comes to uh, representing guys in the draft. And then we had the very first pick in the first round, eight different years. Yeah, uh, amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And then uh, this year you're out here and you're representing Paxton Lynch, a guy who we're going to get a chance to speak to tomorrow and we're really right. looking forward to that. When you look back on the guys you've represented previously as first round guys, how does Paxton compare with that glut of great players? Um, he probably compares to Ben Roethlisberger, the closest. Yep. Except that he has he's six foot seven, which is very tall, <laughs> and he has a great um, perspective on the field and also a great release point. His hands are almost a foot long. Wow. So we're going to have to compare them to Ollie's hands tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. I think. Are <laughs> a foot? They're eleven and a half inches long, which is humongous. He can throw on the run. He can escape the pocket with some nimbleness. He's got great accuracy, and he can elongate his body on third and one to pick up the first down. I think he's got the most upside of any of the quarter, uh, quarterbacks, and I think he'll ultimately end up being picked very high. Where? Well, you don't know because teams will fall in love in a football sense, different franchises with different players, and and we're still in the training part, so it's sorting, sort of uh, just developing. And I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that process, but just before that, well, the one potential knock against Paxton is exactly what you say there, is that physically he's very impressive, but he's not necessarily done 
things that are uh, designed for the pro style offense and maybe it's going to be a case if we're going to see him at the combine and we're going to see those physical attributes and he'll move up but is there a feeling that maybe the best sort of location for him would be somewhere like Dallas maybe where they've got a starting quarterback who's aging and he can learn and, and progress in that way and that's where I, we had uh Troy Aikman, so <laughs> you know, some success there previously. Yeah, then pretty happy. I don't think any quarterback is actually ready to play their first year. They do play their first year, but they're forced by the cap. They're forced by uh, the fact that they can't afford multiple quarterbacks um, if they're they're paying a young rookie a lot of money. Um, so, as for the spread. Many colleges now play the spread or shotgun offense, probably more than play a pro set offense. Yep. So this adjustment process is something that Marcus Mariota had to go through last year. He, he did it very successfully. And right now what Paxton's been doing is working on footwork. So he can right. show a three-step drop, a five-step drop, a seven-step drop. So what you do is in scouting is to take any potential knock and try to address it. You, you can't make Memphis into Ohio State, but they played a very tough football schedule. Hey, maybe this very city would be a great landing spot for him with yeah. Chip Kelly. Absolutely. What, what interests me is the way you've kind of broken down Paxton there. And I wonder, obviously, you're, you're I guess, the guy at the negotiating table and that kind of thing. But how big a scouting network do you have behind you when you're kind of looking at these prospects and trying to decide which guys you might be interested in I mean, to be honest, it's pretty easy because a team will tell you who the top-rated players are. There are people who, with their own eye, can see it. I don't even need to. I, I, can, I can get derivative information, and if you tell me what this player can do, then I know how to put the adjectives into the system. Yeah franchise quarterback what's a franchise quarterback someone you can win because of rather than with build your program around for the next 10 to 12 years and who most importantly can elevate his level of play in critical situations to put a team on his back and uh and go to the super bowl I'm really intrigued by this time of year, and I mentioned it there, the process for you now. I mean, obviously you're here with Paxton at the Super Bowl. We know you've got your great party on Saturday that we're very much looking forward to. But are you already talking to teams at this point ahead of the Combine? Is that something that comes around more when they're doing the team interviews at the Combine? I mean, those interviews in themselves fascinate me as a process. What At this time of year around the Super Bowl, what as an agent are you doing to represent Paxton? Well, for example, we're bringing him out here. Yeah. So that we're trying to raise his profile in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, college football's getting bigger and bigger in the UK, I tell you. But You'd be we, amazed. But we bring him here to sort of show him what goes around uh, football. Then we have our party, which will have general managers and owners there, where he'll start to meet people uh, at, at the party. And, uh, you know, he, there'll be executives, there'll be all sorts of folks doing uh, that he'll meet. Right now it's training is what he's doing. Um, and then you prepare him for the combine. You want to make sure he knows uh, what they're going to ask him in those 20-minute interviews, that he has, he knows which uh, tests he'll excel out in the, in the combine. So, for example, they don't really care if a quarterback bench presses in the combine. They care if other players do, but they don't. You'd like him to run a reasonable 40, you know, uh, faster than 
something that can't be timed with like a a sun clock (laughs) 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 and and uh, so that that will do that there are no rules in the scouting system a young man can choose to train not train play in an all-star game or not he can go to the combine and participate in physicals and do no drills or not and then he could do it again at pro scouting day the essence for a quarterback prospect is the 40-minute throwing uh, exhibition that comes on campus in his uh, pro scouting days April 2. But when you do that thing to perfection, (laughs) it's a thing of beauty. You're hoping the ball never touches the ground, the receivers catch everything. And you had, I mean, you've had in recent years guys like Teddy Bridgewater who had a, a rough day on his pro scouting day and probably slipped 10, 15 places further down the draft than everyone expected him to go. So these things do make an impact. And I know it's quite early and we're still, I think after the Super Bowl, it's it's uh, 28 odd days until the combine. Do we? Do, do you know if Pax is planning to throw at the combine at the moment? Is that yes, something he you've is. been doing? So right. the point is that my philosophy and look, I've had... One weekend, half the uh, starting quarterbacks. But, you know, it's like Warren Moon and Troy Aikman and Steve Young and Roethlisberger and uh, Mark Brunell and Jake Plummer and on and on. Um, it's not a bad list. It's, <laughs> it's you know, he throws beautifully. The reason people haven't wanted to throw at the combine is they fear they're throwing to their own wide res- not throwing to their wide receivers. So they're afraid that if the ball hits the ground, it's going to look sloppy and undisciplined and all the rest. But I'm an advocate in aggressively approaching the process and showcasing everything. Fantastic. Well, one thing that interests me is kind of you've been doing this for a lot of years now, and I know you're heavily involved in the concussion stuff and that kind of thing. So player welfare is clearly important to you. What keeps you going now at this stage? Because you've, you've been doing it for so long and you, you're as positive and excited as ever now to talk about Paxton Lynch. Well, one of the great things about representing players is that you get to take a new generation and help them fulfill their hopes and dreams. Our practice is about role modeling, having athletes go back to the high school community, the collegiate community, set up scholarship funds and programs. Yep. And then at the Pro City... Uh, set up a charitable foundation. So I try to look for a certain type of player, and that person you feel good about. When I started in 1975 with Steve Bartkowski, who was the first pick in the first yep. round of that draft, wow. yeah. there was no sports agentry. Yeah. Teams had the right to just hang up the phone, and some did. Um, but there was no guaranteed right of representation. So most draftees either represented themselves or they had their parents do it, or they just took what was offered. So the changes that have occurred in the whole world around pro football have been astronomical. And uh, what interests me with the concussions as well is, and again, I know it's something that you're passionate about, where do you see this concussion story going next? We did a big feature in the magazine on it recently, and uh, to me, one thing that interests me is, is the helmet technology. I think that is one area where 
there should be a, a, a potential clear answer. Where do you see it going? So, um, I had a crisis of conscience back in the 1980s, yep. representing half the quarterbacks. They keep getting hit in the head. We go to doctors. And I guess them. the situation with Troy is yeah, one that you saw. How many is too many? They can't tell us. So, we held a first concussion seminar all the way back in 1994. Yep. And we released a white paper that showed a neurologist on the sideline regimented... Um, uh, diagnosis and sit-out period, helmetry, all the rest. No one listened. I sent it to 32 teams. We did it again in 2007. Um, so we now know that it leads to ALS, Alzheimer's, premature senility, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. If 50% of the mothers in this country know those facts until they're teenage boys, you can play any sport but not tackle football, yeah. it won't kill football. It would just change the socioeconomics of it. Yeah. So the same people who escape poverty to box or UFC, knowing there's bad risk, they'll, do, they'll continue to play football. There's a new helmet called Tate Technology. I, th I, think, I've, I think I've read an article on right. it recently. Yeah. So, um, and what it does is it takes the helmet and it has a system of coil and compression. Yeah. So the blow comes against the head and then the energy is displaced. They're up to 46% now. They think they can get all the way to 90%. Right. So that gets you started. Not having kids play tackle football um, when they're too young is a second thing. Um, the third thing is better diagnostic techniques on the sidelines. Yeah. The, the thing after that is nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals that can potentially heal the brain. So we need to be in action now. Um, I have the fear that that a, a high percentage of um, today's football players are going to end up with some form of uh, brain damage. Yeah. And uh, it's something that uh, we know that you've been working on. We, we know you're obviously passionate about, but Steinberg Ventures, something that you're putting together now. And, and we asked what keeps you passionate going now, but you are working on a lot of fronts to, to try and tackle these issues, aren't you? Well, uh, the Ventures is the fact that we have new apps that are blowing up. We have new um, health and science products. We've got sports-themed uh, television and, and movie shows. we got Stadia. Uh, but on the narrow concussion issue, we want to fund things like research into, into healing the brain, uh, prevention, and all the rest of it. So I think that representing players doesn't preclude the necessity to be a steward of the sport yeah. and think about the better interest of uh, players' second career and how they're going to be living for years. Uh, and, and finally, Lee, uh, we've got to ask the question because we'll be seeing you again on Saturday. What have you got planned for your... Is it the 29th annual Lee Steinberg? It is the 29th. I think we screwed up a num uh, on numeration somewhere because <laughs> the first one was in 1985. Now, how we left a year out, I don't know. I think that... Um, we're doing a little concussion conference ahead of time. We hand out the uh, humanitarian awards, which we're giving to Jim uh, Haslam, the, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, mm -hmm. Jack Del Rio, the coach of the Raiders, Kevin Demoff for St. Louis. Um, but it will be a three-ring circus. 
Fantastic. That's what we want to hear, Lee. Real pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we look forward to chatting to Paxton tomorrow and letting him know just how much uh, you bigged him up and uh, and let us know how good he is. Fantastic. Thank uh, you, Lee. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Lee Steinberg, there, super agent. Oddly, really softly spoken, which. I, you know, I would have thought, I, I was expecting an agent to be really flashy and shooty and in your face and, you know, because they've got to go out and make the big deals. And this is a guy who, you know, brought Troy Aikman to the Cowboys. He, uh, I, I'm trying, he named them in the interview. You'll have heard that already. But he got the big contract for Ryan Leaf as well. So, you know, he's obviously good at his job. Oh, if you could get a contract with Ryan Leaf, you know, you could sell, you know, you could sell coal to, yeah, coal to people in Newcastle, South Wales <laughs> from Newcastle upon time. <laughs> So the man he was talking about was Paxton Lynch, and I, I found this chat really interesting. Obviously, these guys are already at this point in their career getting media trained to the hilt, but we pushed him quite hard on the kind of team he'd like to go to, what he felt he needed to improve going into the combine, would he throw. So ahead of all of the quarterback stuff happening over the next few days, I think this will be really worth a listen. This is a guy projected to go in the first round, maybe a little bit later, maybe not one of the top two guys, but certainly could be the Blake Bortles-esque surprise of this draft. This is from Memphis, Paxton Lynch. Now joined on uh, Radio Row and really delighted to be joined by a, a guy who we're expecting to get drafted nice and high come May time. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paxton Lynch, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm enjoying the moment while I'm in it. Which genuinely, uh, the reason I'm kind of a little bit flustered going into this is we've just taken a picture of Baxton's hand up against Ollie's. Please go to Iron on Twitter and check it out because when we spoke to Lee Steinberg yesterday, who had a lot of very kind words to say about you, he explained that your hand span was just under a foot. That is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I owe that one to my parents, at least. <laughs> Paxton, before we get into this, and, and uh, congratulations on your hand, um, I want to talk, do you know anything about soccer? Do you know about football? I know about Cristiano Ronaldo, that's my, that's my guy. Okay, I want to show you a guy that you're the doppelganger of. Do you know this fella? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Is it that, Ibrahimovic? That's Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, he is, he is a, a mega star. He plays for Paris Saint-Germain, uh, PSG. A good-looking guy. He's, he's Swedish. Um, and he's 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 crazy. I'm sure you're not. But honestly, yes, you're right. He is a good-looking yeah. guy. He looks like you. I, um, he's a good-looking guy, and you've got a better nose. Thank uh, you. Oh yeah, actually, his nose is much much bigger. So Let, let's let's talk uh, let's talk um, your college career first of all, Paxton in Memphis, leading the Tigers to a top twenty ranking mm -hmm. and consecutive bowl appearances. Uh, when you arrived at, at that. Uh, at that team and, and saw what was there was there a belief that over those three years you could take them to that sort of level because they are what it's one of the big stories of the last few years of college football their rise uh it was definitely rough to say the least when we first got there uh in the situation that coach Fu had to take over and uh, us as players as well uh, was definitely rough it was uh not like any other program to say the least but coach fuente uh he had a system and he got a lot of players to buy into that system and the players that did stuck around and uh, obviously succeeded and well, you know a lot of my success is owed to coach Fuente and what he did with me developed me as a quarterback and and coach Cornelson as well and a lot of that coaching staff so uh, what they did there is a uh, you know a, a monument uh, in Memphis football history in my opinion and uh, it's very exciting to look back on and just soak it all in and getting to start as a, as a redshirt freshman i mean 
for a guy who's going to be going into the draft this year, that little extra bit of experience having to start on a team and a losing team, to yeah. be fair, as well. I, do you think that's put you in better stead, having that that extra year under center and having that extra time to prepare? Definitely. Uh, when I first came in uh, to school, you know, I didn't know anything about redshirt or anything like that, so I just wanted to play right away. Uh, but they redshirted me, giving me a year to develop and get bigger and faster and stronger and learn the offense as well. So that definitely benefited me in the long run. And, and before we get on to kind of the draft stuff, it seems with the Houston Cougars la now last year and um, and, and their, their season and your guys' season, that that conference is kind of really on the rise now. And as Will mentioned there, you guys were ranked in the top 25. Do you feel like it's starting to become one of those power conferences? Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk during the season of our conference, you know, being, you know, a power six conference uh, because of how many teams we had ranked. We had Temple, we had us, we had Houston, Navy. But uh, at the end of the season, you know, we all kind of uh, knocked each other off the rankings, uh, kind of crumbled our own conference in a way. Uh, but I think that also adds to the competition level in our in our conference that you know it's not a, a real small conference where the competition level is not high you know we got good players on on every team and uh we had ucf go to the fiesta bowl and now we had houston go to the peach bowl and beat uh, FSU so that's good for the conference and it, and it makes us look good and on that point UCF who came over and played in Ireland last year Blake came out of there and, and got drafted yep. all the way up at three and in two years has, has been very impressive mm -hmm. and, and kind of similarly to what people are saying about you right now physical attributes big arm I mean we can see it in yeah. person you're a big guy huge hand span all yeah, of that's not that in big place, hand <laughs> but, but the knock is at the moment playing in a smaller school right. playing in a smaller conference right. Do you, are you are you NFL ready already? What are you doing to prepare for the draft to prove to people that you you are ready to be in the NFL and get drafted high? Uh, I actually am working with Charlie Taff, who was the offensive coordinator at UCF when Blake was there, and he's had Blake come in to me, uh, come in and uh, speak to me uh, about the NFL and just getting ready. But uh, mostly, I've just been working on you know my footwork, uh, accuracy, balance, coming out under the center uh, because I did play in a spread offense, but. Uh, now and, and nowadays, oh, it's basically all colleges is, is spread offenses. It's rare to see you know those pro pro style offenses, but there's a few teams that run them. Um, but like I said, I'm just working on you know my footwork, my accuracy, also just learning a lot of the uh, the language of the the next level in the NFL and uh, terminology and a lot of stuff that is in your hands when you get to the next level, like killing plays and flipping plays. And uh, you know that's something I I definitely see myself handling because. Obviously, I'm a quarterback. I knew I was going to have to do it. I did a little bit at Memphis, but uh, with a little preparation, I think I could do it. What went into the decision to kind of forgo the final year and, and end the draft at this stage? It's kind of always that balance of whether you, you go for the extra year in college or you kind of hit the NFL straight away. What was it that made you feel that you were ready to make the step up? Uh, well, through the season, you know, I started playing really well, and uh, Coach Fuente was talking to me the whole season about uh, keep my head on straight and he was proud of how I was handling it and I just didn't really want you know the guys around me to see that I was paying a lot of attention to that which I wasn't uh, because I was more focused on the team that I was with at that time and uh, winning ball games week to week but uh, it definitely uh, took a lot of time uh, sitting down with my parents talking to my parents and uh, you know when coach Fuente left and took that job at Virginia Tech which he was well deserving of you know that kind of obviously helped my decision as well uh, a new coaching staff in my senior year you know, it's just you, know, you never know what can happen with that situation. So that definitely helped. But uh, what was what was right for me and my family 
and uh, some of the predictions that uh, the grades they gave me for the the draft and uh, what round I was, you know, possibly going to be selected in. I think this this was the obviously the best timing to leave. And, and frustratingly, you had maybe your, one of your poorest games in the bowl game against Auburn. What would you say to the to the doubters who kind of point to that performance to kind of defend yourself almost? I guess. Yeah, I mean, everybody obviously plays a bad game, and uh, there was a lot that went into that game. A lot of uh, stuff around the program obviously coach Fuente leaving a lot of our coaches leaving but I'm not one to you know point fingers I'm making excuses because obviously uh, that doesn't that they don't play for you uh, and I played poor in the bowl game but you know there's 12 other games on the schedule where I played uh, outstandingly well in my opinion uh, like Ole Miss you know they say you struggle against a weak uh, SEC defense uh, but if you turn on you know week six or week whatever week that was where you know we shredded up Ole Miss and we played good and uh, Houston as well, teams like that where we played well, um, you know, that kind of just speaks for itself. Yeah, there are certainly enough signature performances yep. in that. Yep. Fantastic. And, and just talking about this process, <laughs> thanks for that, Matt. Just Unbelievable. Talk, talk, <laughs> <laughs> he loved disgrace. that question so much that he went for a mic drop. <laughs> you, 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 you look at the, uh, you, the process as it is right now, and I am genuinely every year fascinated by this mm. because we spend the next three or four months trying to predict where everyone's going to go, what yeah. they're going to do at the combine, where, what yeah. they're going to do at their pro yeah. day, everything else. Uh, for you, as it is now, you're obviously here today and, and you're speaking to the media and, and hopefully speaking to some people involved in teams. Where are you at in the process? How are you finding this process and how are you preparing for the combine and beyond? Uh, I'm just really enjoying it right now. Uh, you know, it's kind of tough when you got to wake up early and you got to do vet interviews all day and run around all day. But, you know, I'm just enjoying the process. You know, some kids uh, aren't fortunate enough to even get this opportunity. So, you know, I'm very blessed to be here. Uh, you know, Lee and Chris do a great job of, you know, getting me exposed to all this stuff. So I'm just enjoying myself. I'm enjoying the moment. I'm enjoying the grind of uh, training every day for the combine and getting bigger, faster, and stronger and smarter. So I'm taking it day by day, and I'm enjoying myself. Will you throw at the combine? Uh you know, it's something obviously I want to do as a competitor, uh, compete against those other guys and, you know, go head-to-head with them since those are the guys I'm being compared to. But uh, it's just something i got to discuss with Lee, obviously, still. and uh, Just so you know, Lee yesterday said yes. So, oh, he uh, did? <laughs> uh, he didn't tell me that. He didn't tell me that. So you're throwing at the combine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to ask about the sort of, following up on the whole draft process and obviously I mean you've got a glimpse of it today and and how big the NFL is and that whole process where people are pouring over every detail of of your life Um, have you you spoken to anyone who's been through the process and and got advice yeah uh, like I said Charlie Taft the guy who coaches training me uh, trained Blake Bortles as well at UCF so I've talked to Blake Uh, Cordell Stewart was a quarterback who I looked up to uh, growing up who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers was one of the least uh, clients I talked to him I talked to June Jones uh, you know, whoever whoever Lee can get me in contact with is really who I speak to, and you know they just kind of give me advice and uh, tell me to keep my head on straight and just keep working. It'd have been great if you could have told us this earlier in the week. Cause we've spoken to all those people this week. Yeah. We could have asked what they thought of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a bit about um, getting to the nitty gritty of the mechanics of of how you throw. Right. A lot of it is a lot of arm strength, mm-hmm. and you said you've been working on footwork, but it's been said that perhaps if if you use your lower body a little bit more, you could get more into the throat, right. more accurate. How are you addressing that, and how? 
what what um, steps have you been making to sort of improve that part of your game? Uh, mostly it's just footwork because, you know, it all starts from the bottom up, sure. the, uh, the feet, and obviously, like you said, the legs throwing the ball. Uh, as a quarterback, you don't throw with all arm. Uh, also, you won't get all the velocity you can. But, uh, you know, growing up, I, I never had a quarterback coach or anything teaching me how to throw the football. Uh, I, I taught myself how to throw football because I played baseball. Uh, so uh, at every level, uh, every coach I run into, you know, they kind of critique me. But, you know, it's worked for me. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's got me to where I'm at now. So, you know, they don't, they don't try to mess with it as much as they can. But uh, I'm looking for whatever can make me the best player I can. And I suppose little tweaks can only make you right. that much right, better. Right, Yeah. Well, one thing that interests me, you're, you're about to kind of embark upon this crazy combine process and the testing and the interviews and, and that kind of thing. What's the, what's the sales pitch almost that you're going to give to teams and, and why should they draft you in the top five, first yeah. round, etc.? Uh, I mean, obviously... It's a good uh, draft class because for quarterbacks, just because you know they're not sure who they're going to take. You got Carson Wentz from North Dakota State, and you got Jared Goff as well from Cal, and a couple other guys that are thrown in there as well. Uh, but in my opinion, you're not going to uh, find a quarterback you know as big and as athletic as me in this draft, and maybe not even in the next draft. Uh, so, you know, I'm a guy who can throw it around, but I'm also a guy who can uh, scramble and make uh, second and third chances as well. Uh, now, just to talk about potential landing spots, and like I say, we are ridiculously, we will spend the whole rest of the next three months predicting it and then get it all entirely wrong, but there's there's a couple of particular spots I'm interested in. One is San Francisco, right. because he talks about the spread offense, and, and that's obviously potentially what Chip Kelly could be yeah. running, and then you've got Dallas, where you would sit behind Tony Romo mm-hmm. potentially for a couple of years and learn. Do you have any preference whether it would be... And let's not necessarily with those teams, but going in and do you want to be starting week one and getting in there, or would you be happy to go and sit behind someone like Tony and learn? Uh, I mean, w- I, I honestly uh, will be honored to go play anywhere, obviously, uh, and help whatever team, however I can help that team. Uh, I know whatever situation I'm put into, I know that the coaches will use me, uh, you know, however they need to use me, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm a team guy. Uh, it's not about me as long as the team succeeding is, is winning. You know, I'm happy. So, uh, wherever, where, would you relish that opportunity to learn from a guy who's oh, been definitely. in the league and De- done it for 15 years? And yeah, definitely. Uh, I would definitely sit behind somebody if if that ch- it wouldn't bother me at all to sit behind somebody and uh, learn from them. You know, obviously, I want to play as soon as I can, but uh, the chance that you get to sit back and learn and uh, do all that but at the same time you still got to be ready to go in whenever I'm not going to lie as a 49ers fan I kind of hoped you'd say the opposite but uh, <laughs> look Baxton it's been a real, yeah. a real pleasure thank you so much yep. for your time and you. uh, really appreciate it Paxton Lynch there talking to the Gridiron Show we spoke to him back at the Super Bowl where we were with Sports Travel Tours uh, Paxton Lynch uh, fascinating that he kind of, when I pushed him on the idea of maybe going somewhere like the Cowboys and sitting behind Tony Romo, he seemed pretty excited and pretty up for that sort of that kind of position. Like he wasn't there chomping on the bit, saying I want to start Week One. Seemed realistic about it. Uh, said you know there are teams playing a spread offense, but I, I think if he's willing to go and sit somewhere, and we could see a potential for a development like an Aaron Rodgers style situation or a Ben Roethlisberger situation, and that's the the biggest ideal for a team trying to take a quarterback. It is. I mean, there's there's still this tear, you know this this tearing apart idea of do you get a rookie and throw him straight in, or can you can you possibly take a first round pick? 
you know, or, you know, spend a first round pick on someone and not play him. It's the you know, this, this is a shiny toy. We want to play with it now. We want to play with it. Oh, we broke it. Um, c- can we get another one? No, you're out. It's it's a delicate mix, and it's if you've got someone like Tony Romo, who you said earlier, consummate professional, a very good NFL quarterback. He could pick things up from him that are only going to benefit him. No doubt, no doubt. Right, before we move on finally from this, Cal tweets us asking, which team could take a surprise quarterback in the early rounds? He said maybe Miami in case they turn on Tannehill. Is there anyone outside of the six or seven we've named that you think, oh, that could, they could surprise everyone and go down that route? Well, I mean... Last off season, or you know, there's quarterbacks who've signed contracts that are pro- probably going to tie them to their team for the rest of their career. But you start thinking maybe, you know, Phil Rivers. You know, how much has he got left mm-hmm. in the tank? Because he's taken a beating over the years. The Chargers have so many needs elsewhere. It's probably that would be a luxury pick. Or maybe you know, when do the Giants start looking to, uh, to you know to replace Eli? Again, yeah, because I hope they suck. You know, hopefully, very, very, very quickly. Uh, and nobody can trust them to draft well. That's not something that they do outside of Odell Beckham. Not in the last few years, at least. Um, I, I mentioned the Broncos already. I think uh, yes, they're looking to sign Brock Osweiler to a long-term deal. And yes, they spent a second-round pick on him four years ago. But certainly, uh, they they've shown once Elway that that's the sort of thing he would do. Why not go and do it again in the second or third round if there's someone that you love who's dropped to you in that position and those are the kind of ones that I expect you might see I mean we saw it with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, for the for the Patriots a couple of years ago why not if you're maybe uh, Steelers that's another possible one I mean we know they've lost Heath Miller so a tight end as we mentioned on the show before Heath Miller retired we said tight end I thought would be a really good position for them to go for if they can find a playmaker but outside of that Roethlisberger's not getting any younger, can be banged up. You saw what they did with backups last year. Why not go out and look for that next hot guy in this kind of third, fourth round? Uh, Eagles, Jenkins, extension. I know we've mentioned the Eagles a few times already, but Malcolm Jenkins, who for me has been kind of one of the top maybe five or six safeties in the league over the last couple of years. Uh, Interesting to see that he is signing a long-term deal with the Eagles. And it seems that Howie is doing a pretty good job of locking up your guys longer term this off-season? Well, if you look, think back to when his previous tenure as general manager, the 2012, I think it was, off-season, and there were contract extensions for Todd Herrimans, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson. It's something Roseman is a fan of. It's, you know, develop the players that his team drafts, and then tie them up long-term. So, I mean, you could argue that the Eagles missed the playoffs last year for the second year in a row, and you're keeping all these core players around. But with so much you know, uncertainty about system and whether these players deep down were actually a good fit for what the coach was trying to do, they are good players. And let's not um, forget so- on the defensive side of the ball... Top 10 defence in the early part of the season. And, uh, you know, it pains me to say this, but a lot of that probably had to do with Chip Kelly, the number of snaps. I mean, I remember reading somewhere that Malcolm Jenkins, through 13 games, had taken more snaps than any safety in the league had taken the previous season for the entire year. So Mm. that does wear down on a defence in a much bigger way than it does any other unit. It doesn't mean these guys stop being good players. And uh, Jenkins, in particular, is a guy I've been a big, big fan of the last two years. So I I love that move i think maybe they've overpaid a couple of other guys to keep them around a little bit well, and you're obviously think this mainly speaking about vinnie curry who's <laughs> never who started the same number of nfl games as you and i yeah 
um, but in spot, you know, in spot st- in spot relief, or you know, when he's coming, he has been quite on a per snap basis. He has been quite productive, and his is a deal that's similar to the one the Vikings gave Everson Griffin, who hadn't started an NFL game. And to be fair, he's lived up to his deal. I mean, it is it's rich for a rotational pass rusher, but with they're thinking maybe with the system they want to run with Jim Schwartz, i.e. I want these four people to kill the quarterback, Vinnie Curry's going to see the field more often. I also think Lane Johnson Lane Johnson was the other one that seemed interesting to me because he's not shown me anything that suggests he's a left tackle and he's been paid like a left tackle. Jason Peters is like 34 years old, so if you've got a guy who you think can shift from right to left and has the mobility to play left tackle and come up against the best pass rushers in the league, then great, throw that money at him. I personally haven't seen anything from him to suggest that. Maybe what he's done in practice and when he's rotated into that position, they've seen something more. But that's another one where I think that felt a little rich. But I am generally, unless you're going Jerry Jones mental and throwing stupid money at ageing players, generally I'm a much bigger fan of developing guys and keeping them in your building. Absolutely. How's Mike getting on, by the way? Uh, let's find out. Mike White, you still there? Other options this off-season when they supposedly have got Kaepernick and Gabba already on the roster to back. Yeah, yeah he's still going. I don't think there's any stop. Mike, be the starter because they're not going to pay Mike? that kind of money on no, the back. Oh, let's come back to him at the end of the show and see if he's still going. Uh, uh, finishing off, uh, we've got a few tweets that we had in. Uh, I'd noticed that there was a great uh, quote from Bruce Arians, who's one of my favourite in a press conference in an interview. Love his honesty, but he talked about David Johnson as being a twenty to twenty-five snap guy next season. Potentially could be one of the best. He was a fancy darling for a lot of people down the stretch. You're a guy who writes about fantasy. And Adam F. has tweeted us saying, OK, for Dutton, who is going to be the 2016 Eddie Lacey? The high pick who, not through injury, but through other factors, turns out to be the big disappointment for you. I mean, by other factors, you mean being fat? Being the size of Mike Talbot. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's three names that I can think of. I mean, I'm going by current NFL, NFL 10 data because no one's really drafting. If you're drafting redraft now, you're mental. There's a draft to come. We still don't know who these people are going to be. Um, but early MF, uh, MFL 10 data, um, Sammy Watkins is the 11th wide receiver off the board. Mm, I'm not too happy about that. Um, I, I don't think they throw it enough. You don't think season make... two from Tyrod's going to be a big improvement? No, because I still think they going to want as you, you know you know about their offensive coordinator more than most and um, they're going to either power football <laughs> they're either going to commit to still running the ball or they're going to do something stupid uh, but either way I don't think I don't like how high Watkins is going the one I really don't I really don't hold out a lot of hope for and people may be tipping him as a potential sleeper is Jeremy Langford Oh, okay, interesting. Because there was a certain there was a conversation regarding him and David Johnson going off on the fantasy football focus the other day, specifically saying who would you take out of those two if you were in uh, a dynasty league, for example. Mm, I would I would take Johnson in a shot. I think he's he's a better runner, he's a better receiver, and he's a better pass blocker. If you actually look at um, Langford's figures last year, I think he averaged three point six yards a carry. Matt Forte averaged four point one behind the same line 
and an awful lot of his fantasy production for Langford, it was touchdown dependent and touchdown, you know, touchdown efficiency is one of those things you can't really rely on it from one year to the next. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you take his scores away, he wasn't actually very good. Um, and they liked, you know, they did use Kadeem Carey more. And plus, John Fox has this annoying habit of loving running back committees. So straight away, you're a little bit scared by him. Well, I certainly am. I, I think I'm I'm interested in the David Johnson conversation. I want to see what Arizona do with their offensive line. I know line talk isn't the sexiest, but uh, they brought in Jared Valdir and Mikey Yapati, who shored up that line and did brilliantly on the left side last year. They're now left in a situation where they, you'd argue the whole starting right side and centre of their line is uh, at the end of their contracts right now. Bobby Massey, Ted Larson, uh, Lyle Sendline, 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 I'm never sure with those ones, whether you do the German IEEI thing. Uh, they, they've drafted high. They've taken DJ Humphreys high. They took Jonathan Cooper reasonably high. So they've got guys there who maybe they think can make the step up. But I just want to pay a little bit of attention to how the right side of that line looks going into next year before I start taking David Johnson as like a top 10 guy. But if they do shore that up, I am going to be loving David Johnson next year. I agree. I mean, with, to a certain extent with running backs and quarterbacks, when you're drafting the player, you're also drafting their line. I mean, this was one of the things about Ryan Tannehill a few years ago. Everyone said, oh, sneaky potential, you know, could, could be a star. Yeah, he holds the ball too long and gets sacked too often. So you have to bear that in mind. Johnson showed well once he became the starter but as you say he's got slightly uncertain uh, line play we don't know if DJ Humphreys if he was that good he probably could have beaten out Bobby Massey but he didn't Bruce Arians seemed to like it was almost sort of, uh, like Jay Gruden took every possible opportunity to slag off Robert Griffin what? that's what Arians was going to do about Humphreys <laughs> never surely Oh, it's every week. You know, he's not ready. No, he's he's not. He's he's nowhere near good enough. And then with three weeks to go in the season, he probably could have played if we needed him. What, what, what do you mean, here, Bruce? Come on. Brilliant. Right, Duds, we've got to get out and we've got to get out on these last two questions. So I'm going to ask for a reasonably one-word answer on both of these. Two more tweets we've had in. Nikki tweeted, "Who do you want to see on Hard Knocks this season?" Oh, the Browns. <laughs> It's car crash television at its best. Come on. It's a real Why shame. Wouldn't you want the Browns? They can't be forced into it because Hugh Jackson's a new head coach, but if they elected to do it, well, they'd be mental to do it, but if they elected to do it, would be brilliant. And Adam B tweets, and I've only... They, I just want to clarify, Adam F and Adam B, neither of them requested to be called that. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I just wanted to make it clear that there wasn't like one guy called Adam tweeting like five questions into the show. He asked, would you rather spend a night on... The Gronk Party Boat or the Minnesota Love Boat? See, the Gronk Party Boat seems like it was better pleased and uh, was <laughs> probably nicer time had by all. So uh, I, I, I'll go with that one. Fine, that's fair. I mean, you're more likely to get laid on the love boat, so I'm going with that one. Uh, <laughs> married men, Neil. We can't be thinking in those ways. Obviously, the Gronk Party Boat. Of course. Uh, right, Neil, absolute pleasure. Uh, we've gone on for at least 20 minutes longer than I thought we would. Actually, to which point, what's Mike so, doing? His, listen, his regression from any potential he might have shown is I a think, worry for me. His confidence is shot. His decision-making in judgment is erratic. It was flawed. In summary, it's dark times in the bay. 
And he's finished and hung up. Brilliant. Well done. Mike uh, White there. Thank you to him for joining us. Thank you to you for joining us, uh, Neil. been a real pleasure chatting to you. Uh, anything that you'd like to add before we get out of here? Um, no, if, you know, if you'd like listening to me waffle, you can listen to us, uh, me and Mainzy, on Waxing Lyrical Podcast and follow me on Twitter at Endlutton13. We will make sure that we get all of that in there as well. Otherwise, Neil, thank you so much for your time, mate. Uh, keep checking us out at Gridiron online, gridiron-magazine.com. Plenty of content going up there. And next week, we'll be back, hopefully, with Simon Clancy talking some prospects, talking some combine, all the rest of the news that's going to be coming out of there, and more of our interviews from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Thank you to everyone who's joined us this week. Thank you to you for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.